Over the past couple of months now, we have been in a series of lessons entitled, Fighting Your Fears. And our theme verse is Psalm 34 and verse 4. Let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Simply put, God wants us to experience fear-free living. And so we've been studying the truth, love, and faith solutions to our fear of the future, our fear of failure, our fear of inadequacy, our fear of loneliness, our financial fears, and last Sunday, our fear of guilt. That brings us to today's lesson, my salvation. Without a doubt, one of our most common fears centers around our salvation. Can I have assurance of my salvation? Is it really even possible for me to know for certain where I will spend eternity? What if I have unconfessed, unrepented sin in my life at the moment of my death? Will I still go to heaven? When I say that I'm sure I'm saved, isn't that being rather presumptuous? I have a family member or a friend who became a believer early in his or her life, but later they turned away from Christ and the church. Will he or she still be saved? Fighting your fears. My salvation. The problem is my fear. My doubt. My uncertainty about my salvation. The solution is God's assurance for us. Follow along in your Bible as I read. 1 John chapter 5, we pick it up with verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Don't miss those words. You may know that you have eternal life. As we consider our fear and God's assurance, let's build our lesson around these two thoughts. First, the essence of assurance and then the evidence of assurance. Let's begin with the essence of Assurance. What's the essence? What's the nature, the character, the heart of this issue of assurance? How can we clarify God's truth on this rather important matter? Well, let's break it down this way. Starting with what the Bible does not teach about assurance. There are two popular teachings on assurance that are found at opposite ends of the spectrum. The first is often called once saved, always saved. This position is often referred to as eternal security. Those who teach this viewpoint believe that once someone becomes a true believer, it's impossible for him or her to ever lose their salvation. From the moment one initially receives Christ as his or her personal Savior, he or she is eternally secure. God will preserve them in their faith forever. There is nothing, in fact, that they could ever do to fall from grace. This position is an integral part of what theologians call Calvinism. John Calvin taught five basic points remembered in the acrostic TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. 
The T, as you see there in your notes, total depravity. The U, unconditional election. The L, limited atonement. The I, irresistible grace. The P, the preservation of the saints. In a nutshell, Calvinism teaches that before creation even, God unconditionally elected certain totally depraved people to be saved and other totally depraved people to be lost. You're going to be saved. You're going to be lost. You're going to be saved. You're going to be lost. You're going to be saved. You are going to be lost. In his plan, God sent Jesus to atone only for these limited elected ones. Not for everybody did Jesus die. Only for those God had chosen to be saved. Then in his timing, God irresistibly calls them, giving them the gift of his grace. And since God is in sovereign control of the salvation process from beginning to end, he will preserve every believer forever. The issue with this viewpoint is that it denies the free will of the individual. The idea of once saved, always saved is just a part of that denial. Since one cannot believe and accept salvation of his or her own free will, so he or she cannot cease and, and reject salvation of his or her own free will. And thus, they are eternally secure and have complete assurance of their salvation. After all, it has nothing to do with them or their choices. On the other extreme of the spectrum would be trying hard, never sure. (laughs) Don't know what else to call it. Trying hard, never sure. I suppose we could call it temporary insecurity. (laughs) Those who teach this viewpoint say that although one has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, he or she can never be absolutely certain of their standing with God. If you were to ask such a person if they are saved and going to heaven their reply would reflect their insecurity. They would say something like, well, I certainly hope so. (laughs) Or I'm sure trying hard. Some would even go as far as to say that it's impossible to have assurance, that it's presumptuous to claim such security. This viewpoint emphasizes the free will of the individual to the extent that when a person chooses to be good, he or she's in good standing with God. When a person chooses to be bad, he or she loses that good standing with God. Therefore, anyone who thinks this way and at the same time obviously knows that he or she is an unworthy sinner is naturally plagued with doubt and fear about their salvation. They know that they are not good all the time. And so the best they can hope for is to die during a church service. I don't suggest that. (laughs) Or while they're praying their daily prayer, asking God for forgiveness of sin. See, the thought is that if you die with any uh, unconfessed or unrepented sin... There is a danger of being lost, and thus they are temporarily insecure and can never have assurance of their salvation. In fact, they just don't know. Nobody, they say, will ever know until they die or until Jesus comes again. Now, as you've probably already concluded, I believe that the once saved, always saved, and trying hard, never secure positions are both incorrect, (laughs) which leads us to what the Bible does teach about Assurance. First, the Bible says we can have assurance of our salvation. We can have assurance of our salvation. Here are just a few of the many different scriptures that address this truth. John 10 verse 28, I give them eternal life so that they will never be lost. No one can snatch them out of my 
hand. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from His love. Death can't and life can't. The angels won't and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fear for today, our worries about tomorrow, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. 1 Peter 1 verses 4 and 5. We look forward to possessing the rich blessings God keeps for His people. He keeps them for you in heaven where they cannot decay or spoil or fade away. They are for you who through faith are kept safe by God's power for the salvation which is ready to be revealed at the end of time. And then, of course, 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13, today's text. But let's read it out loud together from the message. Would you read it with me? God gave us eternal life. The life is in His Son. So whoever has the Son has life. Whoever rejects the Son rejects life. My purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. So, does the Bible teach that we can have assurance of our salvation? Absolutely, yes. But I believe the Bible also teaches that we can forfeit our salvation. Here are just a few of the many scriptures that address this truth. Hebrews 3, verse 12, Be careful that none of you have a heart so evil and unbelieving that you will turn away from the living God. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. What about people who turn away after they've already seen the light and have received the gift from heaven and have shared in the Holy Spirit? What about those who turn away after they have received the good message of God? There's no way to bring them back. What they're doing is the same as nailing the Son of God to a cross and insulting Him in public. Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. If we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth we know, we repudiate Christ's sacrifice and are left on our own to face the judgment, and a mighty fierce judgment it will be. 2 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21. Let's read this one out loud together. When a person has escaped from the wicked ways of the world by learning about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then gets tangled up with sin and becomes its slave again, he is worse off than he was before. It would be better if he had never known about Christ at all than to learn of Him and afterwards turn his back. And so does the Bible teach that we can forfeit our salvation. Absolutely, yes. So then, how do we bring these two seemingly contradictory ideas together? How can we have assurance of our standing with God and yet at the same time know that it's possible for us to lose that standing? Well, actually, these truths are not in conflict with each other at all. The key to what the Bible teaches about assurance is understanding God's part and our part in the process of our salvation. So let's look at that. First of all, God's part in our salvation. God's part in saving us, you understand, is His grace. God loved us so much that He sent His very own Son to live a perfect life, to offer Himself as a perfect sacrifice, to pay the penalty of death for our sin, to be buried, to rise victorious over sin and Satan and hell so that we could share in His triumph. And I've given you a number of scriptures there. You can look up on your own later. 
The work of salvation, however, has been fully accomplished by God. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. It is paid in full. It is complete in every way, perfectly. And it is offered by God to us in grace. On the other hand, in God's part in keeping us is His faithfulness. He is faithful to His promise to never ever cast us aside. He is faithful to protect us from the enemy, Satan. He is faithful to provide all of the spiritual resources we would ever need in Jesus Christ. We can count on God's faithfulness. His grace saves us and His faithfulness will keep us. That's God's part in our salvation. But there's also our part in our salvation. And first, our part in saving us is our faith. Although salvation is offered to us as a free gift from God by His grace, it is personally appropriated when we respond by faith, placing our trust in Jesus Christ. We must exercise our own free will by choosing to receive God's gift of salvation individually and personally. And second, our part in keeping us is our faithfulness. Although God is faithful to us, we must also choose to be faithful to Him. He will not ever cast us aside, but it is quite possible for us to cast Him aside. I mean, you just study the old covenant between God and His chosen people, the Hebrews, the Jews. He was unfailing in His covenant relationship with them, but they ended up turning their back, being rebellious and disobedient, choosing to break the covenant relationship from their end. Never God's end, it was their end. And as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. I mean, whatever else we may learn from their examples, we must learn the importance of faithfulness. Is it any wonder that the New Testament exhorts us again and again to persevere and to hold fast? And again, I've given you a bunch of scriptures we just don't have time to look up, but you can look up later on your own. So how does God part and our part work together when it comes to assurance? Well, I own an Epson printer. And so I went online this last week, and I pulled up the warranty. Have you ever looked at one of those? It said in part, and I quote, Epson warrants to the end user customer that Epson products will be free from defects in materials and workmanship for a specified time after the date of purchase by the customer. Epson's limited warranty covers only those defects which arise as a result of the normal use of the product and does not apply to any improper or inadequate maintenance, software or interfacing not supplied by Epson, unauthorized modification or misuse, operation outside the product's environmental specifications. Unquote. Now I guarantee if you have any appliances or tools or, you know, pretty much anything you own has a warranty, something like that. Does that make sense? And although I freely admit that this illustration does have its limitations, it's somewhat, I think, like God's assurance of our salvation. He guarantees that our salvation is free from defects in materials and workmanship for all of eternity. I mean, there's nothing wrong at all with God's grace and Christ's work on the cross, and it is and it always will be without defect. However, if we, the end-use customer, quote-unquote, 
provide improper maintenance or unauthorized modification or misuse, then we can choose to nullify God's warranty. So then, the question always comes, do I need to live in fear that we're going to blow it and lose our salvation? No, not at all. The kind of misuse and abuse of our salvation that would result in losing our assurance is called blaspheming the Holy Spirit or apostasy or reprobation in the Bible. In a nutshell, it is the utter and complete rejection of God, knowingly and deliberately choosing to discard our relationship with Jesus, rebelliously and intentionally deciding to ignore the Holy Spirit's conviction of our sin. And I've listed again some Bible references in your notes there for your further study on your own. What I want us to understand is that the key word here is repentance. Repentance. If someone has totally rejected the Lord and with a hard heart and a willfully defiant spirit continues to live in habitual sin, then there is a risk that he or she will become apostate or reprobate as they choose to reject God's gift of salvation. But as long as there is repentance, true godly sorrow leading to change, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, then there's no doubt that one's salvation is assured. And by the way, let me just say this kind of on the side. If you're worried that you maybe are getting close to crossing that line, you're not. How do I know that to be true? Because you're worried about it. (laughs) See, if you have any concern at all that you would be getting near this, then that shows you're not. Because the person who would become apostate or reprobate is the person who doesn't care. They don't even think about spiritual things. They have so totally and utterly rejected God's plan of salvation for them. They have walked away and there is no more Holy Spirit's conviction of sin. There is no more desire for repentance. They have totally and utterly rejected God's only means of salvation. And that's their choice. Now the danger is playing with fire. I'll just let that sit there for a minute. Someone living in fear of salvation is sure to say at this point, that's all fine, but you don't know me. (laughs) I am such a sinner. I am so afraid that when I stand before God on judgment day, He's going to turn me away. And if that's your concern this morning, I need to take some time to explain to you the difference between our position in Christ and our condition in Christ. Notice there in your notes, someone gave this definition of a true believer. A Christian is a person who is becoming what in God's eyes he or she already is. Read that again. A Christian is a person who is becoming what in God's eyes he or she already is. A similar statement, by the way, is found in Hebrews 10 and verse 14. Let's read this out loud together. By one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let's take that apart a bit. By one sacrifice, that's what? Jesus' death on the cross, right? He has made perfect forever. Notice that's past tense. That's a done deal. It's already been accomplished. It is sealed. That, by the way, is our position in Christ. That is being in Christ. 
In other words, we're made perfect in God's sight the very moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior and Lord. By His grace, God looks at us as though we are perfect without sin. That's our position in Him. It has nothing to do with what we have done. It has everything to do with what He has done. It's called justification. But notice how the verse ends. Those who are being made. That's present tense. And it's a continuing action tense, which means it just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening and never stops. That's our condition in Christ. In other words, we know that we are not actually perfect. Rather, we are in the lifelong process of becoming perfect, or as the verse says, being made holy. It's what we call sanctification. This process begins right after justification and continues through entire sanctification until at the very end of time, Jesus comes again and all of creation is redeemed and restored as God intended it to be. Position, condition. You understand the difference between the two? And here's the bottom line. We are saved by our position, not our condition. We are saved by our position in Christ, not our condition in Christ. Man, I wish I had more time to talk about that. But let me summarize. <laughs> let me summarize. I spent a lot of time on doctrine today, more theology than usual. That, but that's because this subject, I think, is so very important for us to understand. So what is the essence of assurance? The Bible does not teach once saved, always saved, or trying hard, never sure. The Bible does teach that we can have assurance of our salvation and that we can forfeit our salvation. The key to understanding these two non-conflicting truths is in understanding God's part and our part in the salvation process. We can count on God's grace and faithfulness to us. The question is about our faith and our faithfulness to Him. The Bible says the key to all of that is repentance. As long as we are actively repentant for our sins on our part, then we live in a continual state of forgiveness on God's part. And finally, we must remember that we are saved because of our position in Christ, how God sees us by His grace, justification, not our condition in Christ, where we actually are in our daily walk, which is sanctification. <laughs> That's the essence of assurance, which brings us to the evidence of assurance. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but let me hurry through this second point by just hitting the highlights and leaving you with a little bit to study deeper on your own. We're indebted to the Apostle John for his book of 1 John because this book, this epistle, was written to help us understand the assurance of our own salvation. As we read earlier in 1 John 5.13, my purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. So how can we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are in fact saved? Well, throughout the book of 1 John, John gives us five specific proofs 
of our salvation. Five tests, if you will, that validate or authenticate that we are indeed a Christian. And I'm just going to touch on these very quickly and hope and trust that you will dig in a little deeper on your own at home. The first is allegiance to Jesus. The first test of our assurance is my allegiance to Jesus. Simply put, John asks, are we openly and unashamedly acknowledging Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord? And I've listed several verses there in your notes from 1 John for you to study on your own later. I just want to read one of them, 1 John 5 and verse 1. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God's Son and your Savior, then you are a child of God. It all begins with our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Second, second test is our obedience to the Bible. Our obedience to the Bible. Simply put, John asks us, are we striving daily to obey God's commands and principles in our lives? And again, I gave you some verses there. I just want to look at a couple of them. 1 John 2 verses 3 through 5 says, if we obey God's commands, then we are sure that we know Him. If we say we know Him but do not obey His commands, we are liars and there is no truth in us. But if we obey His word, this is how we can be sure that we are in union with God. Obedience to the Bible. Number three, third test, is our benevolence with others. Our benevolence with others. Simply put, John asks us, are we expressing our love for others in a practical and sacrificial way. Again, a list of passages in 1 John for you to look up and study on your own. Just one example from 1 John 3. We know that we have left death and come over into life. We know it how? Because we love others. Those who do not love are still under the power of death. Our love should not just be words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. Again, we know that we are truly believers because we love others in a practical and benevolent way. Number four is the avoidance of sin. Avoidance of sin. Simply put, John asks us, are we doing all we can to refrain from willful, habitual sin in our lives? Again, some passages of Scripture. But I want us to read 1 John 3 and verse 9 out loud together. Would you read this one with me? The person who has been born into God's family does not make a practice of sinning because now God's life is in him. So he can't keep on sinning for this new life has been born into him and controls him. He has been born again. You see, if we are truly a child of God, we cannot continue in habitual sin. We cannot, we don't want anything to do with sin. We can't remain in that sin. We can't walk in that sin and repeat that sin again and again and again and again and don't care about it. Because it's foreign to our nature. We've been born again. And born again people don't walk and continue in habitual, defiant, deliberate sin. Avoidance of sin. And then number five is reliance on the Spirit. Reliance on the Spirit. Simply put, John asks us, if we're seeking 
Are we seeking to live a spirit-filled and a spirit-led life each and every day? Again, some scriptures to look up, but I'll just read one of them. 1 John 4, verse 13. He has put his own Holy Spirit into our hearts as proof to us that we are living with him and he with us. Other scripture says that, that God's Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. You know you're a child of God because God's Holy Spirit confirms with your spirit that it is so. And you know it in your heart. Reliance on the Spirit. The evidence of salvation. Here's proof that we are indeed saved. Now, time out. Look at me for a minute. We do not do these things to be saved. We do these because we are saved. You do understand that. That is so very important. Here's proof that we are, in fact, saved. Our allegiance to Jesus, our obedience to the Bible, our benevolence with others, our avoidance of sin, and our reliance on the Spirit. Those things will be evident in our lives. And again, I urge you to revisit this section of your lesson notes in the coming week and to look up and study these different verses from 1 John that I have listed there that we did not have time to look at today. Because this is how you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are saved. Fighting your fears. This morning we looked at my salvation. The problem is my fear my own doubts, my own uncertainty about my assurance of salvation. The solution is that God does give us His wonderful assurance that we are, in fact, His sons and daughters. Let's close today's lesson and this whole series by reading 1 Peter 1 and verse 2 out loud together. Would you read this with me? May God bless you and grant you increasing freedom from all anxiety and fear. That's my prayer for you. May that be true. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I know this is a touchy subject today. One that's often been misunderstood and and uh, God, I, I, I've, I've tried my best to just be true to what Your Word teaches us. I pray that You would let the truth, uh, the faith, the love solution just assure our hearts this morning that we are Your children. We don't have to live in fear of where we're going to spend eternity. We can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are saved. Thank you for that assurance that you give us. Assure every heart today, any heart that's fearful, I pray God that you would just speak your peace to that heart today. Speak your assurance to that heart today. Letting them know that the confidence is not in themselves, but the confidence is in you and in you alone. Because you've already done it all. And by our free will, we have chosen to accept that grace that you've extended to us. And in accepting that grace, you hold us secure. 
And we thank you for that assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.